Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Deck Arts Podcast. Today, I am here with Kyrie Sheth. Sheth, and we will be talking about the Alvar Alto Art in the Modern Form, currently on at the Ateneum Museum, which Kyrie reviewed in her intensive summer course on Scandinavian design this summer. The comprehensive exhibition, which runs until September 24th, so it's over, illustrates how yeah, (laughs) illustrates how Alto's organic design idiom developed in interaction with contemporary visual artists in response to the Finnish national event centenary centenary Centenary. of Finland's independence. Wow, I'm gonna struggle through this episode so hard. Oh, we struggled too, but. Hi guys, uh, I'm Kathy. I'll just give a little bit of background of myself so they know why I'm doing Alvaralto. Uh, I am an architect by profession and I am doing this design history and curatorial studies to understand how do people research on design and what are the basic roots of how architects or designers at the end of the day in certain political and social structures design and uh, uh, Scandinavian design, actually, the summer course was great because we actually got to see a lot of the sites in person and got to experience everything that we were talking about. And Alvar Alto, being an architect, is one of my favorite designers, of course. And I think that's the main reason I would love to talk about him. And yeah, we can do it. If you have yeah. Um, so where did you guys travel during your course? Um, so um, primarily, we, we concentrated on two countries. I know it says Scandinavian design, but we actually went to Finland and uh, Sweden. In Finland, primarily, we were in Helsinki, but I think our concentration in Finland was Alvaralto, per se. And obviously, the artists and the designers he was associated with over a period of time. But we mainly concentrated on Alvaralto, and I shouldn't forget Aino Alto, who was his wife. And every project that he did had a huge, like, Aino Alto was his equal share. And I think that is an important part, and I'm going to keep trying to reiterate that in the podcast as well that it wasn't just Alvaralto. Being a male, he was the one who was famous after all but I mean and the one thing that is really different about Alvaralto is that in every project he gave enough credit to Aino Alto saying that certain things especially the interiors were credited to Aino Alto so I think the two of them together really did create a different Scandinavian or Finnish design aesthetic and I think that's the fun part about this that we get to see not just Alvaralto's work but how his relationship with Aino Alto actually made the entire aesthetic a different thing altogether. Yeah, she's so, not. Yeah. yeah, she's not someone that comes up very exactly, often. right? But she was like a major part of his life, and like for thirty years or so. So, I think it's it's important that we don't miss out what she did in terms of helping Alvaro Alto do what he did best. Yeah, that's important, mm-hmm. and we'll keep referencing things that maybe she did and helped yeah. on when we go through, but. Mm-hmm. Um, so the museum that you went and visited consists of the studio and the house that he worked and lived in. Is that how? So um, the museum, so Alvaralto Museum consists of the office that he worked at as well as his house. Initially, the office was housed within his residence, but eventually they realized that they need a larger space. And that's when they constructed uh, and they built another studio, which is not too far from the 
from his house kind of actually talks about the whole work ethic that he had that how involved he and his wife were were into the office and i think it it's interesting cuz even in his house where the office was initially uh, located it's literally right next to the living space it's it's right there and they have like this thin tiny wall that separates it which easily can be accessible either way so i think it kind of plays really well into how much they invested or how much of their time they spent at the studios and uh, yeah so these two structures are a part of the alvaralto museum and um, i think that's primarily what the difference i'm going to be talking about compared to the exhibition and how different it is when you actually go and see these places in person and experience them accordingly Yeah and you mentioned um about the exhibit that it's missed out on the experience and the emotional dialogue between the mm-hmm. design space and the viewer as the leading force in creation. Yeah. Um so what did you mean by that? I I think um and I should clear out that this point is not just pertaining to this exhibition but I think a lot of architecture um a lot of exhibitions which talk about architects architects and their architecture I think the one thing that is always missing is the in-person experience of the space. I completely understand that when you're exhibiting something the primary reason is to put across a certain design aesthetic or just put across a person as someone or a designer as someone and it's not possible for everyone to probably go and see these places in person. And also but what I think is because I got to experience the difference between visiting the place in person versus just seeing them as photographs or like mini installations in the exhibition I think the major difference is that when architects or designers are designing the primary thing that they are thinking about is the emotion or the experience of what they are designing and how that would relate to the user ultimately because they are going to be the ones living within that design and i think uh, that is one of the things that is really uh, key to understanding what an architect aimed at doing and um, when you visit when we visited the uh, museum and the and the office all of us without a doubt we were dumbfounded in so many ways because there were so many emotions playing at the same time we we were first of all obviously you have that foreground that okay hold on you're in alvaralto studio so there's already that thing playing in your head that you're already in a master's studio you know and then eventually when you move through spaces it's that progression that the leading to the design that actually creates an excitement and i think that is extremely important to capture and that kind of creates and that's a i think at the end of the entire visit you get a very different experience of who he would have been as a designer and what would have people felt like in that space when they were using it and at that time so i think it's the whole nostalgia that also plays into picture that like okay people have used this space before this is what he meant when he was trying to like probably play with spaces or scale of spaces within the structure and i think all of that starts to automatically play when you're physically present in the design and i think that is something that a lot of exhibitions tend to miss out when they're doing exhibitions on architecture especially because i think smaller forms of design like fashion and all of those things i mean it's always going to be different in person 
but at least like a visual uh, representation of these forms of design do help in getting the experience of it but not when it comes to something like architecture because the scale of the design is so big that you have to experience it differently at different points of time within it and i think that is the important key so i think that's what i was trying to get to that it's very different when you're in person because there's a whole different play of emotions and experiences which leads to the design being good bad subjective objective that doesn't matter but you are getting to experiencing it in person is i think what adds to the whole i think it facilitates everything that the designer was trying to do and it like brings it to life and to fruition i think in the end yeah when the user is using it yeah yeah and so were you guys able to go to the Pymeo tuberculosis sanatorium oh yeah we did and uh we actually that was one of the most awaited things of the trip i think cuz everyone like, i mean it's not a unknown fact that it is one of the greatest designs that he's built and it kind of cha- i think not just alvaraldo but i think it kind of changed the dialogue between what sanitation meant in terms of architecture and design and how how did modernism in some ways cuz this was the phase that we was actually trying to experiment not just cuz he did start off with uh, classicism in a lot of ways getting elements and we will talk about this where he gets his references of classicism but i think when he built the pymeo center he was actually in his in this interesting flux with w- between like going back to the past the elements of the past and actually trying to look at modernism in a lot of different ways so i think a lot of those things can be seen in the design of the pymeo center where you can tell that his mind is in flux between okay how do i make this modern but yet stay true to like what finished design was and all these elements come out of this very basic understanding of sanitation health materials simple materials because at the end of the day this is a commission project so he can go over budget either right i mean it is expensive but you have to keep all these things in mind so the idea of materials simple materials more importantly and how spaces and like your natural settings is the best way to actually build within or within a site i think and i think all of those things are well done in this structure yeah and we got an amazing tour it was actually uh, a lot of fun cuz we actually some of us got to ride in the elevator the first elevator that he built in the center and it's actually just i think um this was one of the designs where all of us we just the journey to the center is first of all i must say really really beautiful it's like you go within in, like into these dense forests and suddenly out of nowhere it takes you through this subtle journey and then bam you're like hit in the face with this huge massive structure which is out of nowhere because you're not expecting it right so you have to especially you have to keep in mind the people who are actually coming to these centers families coming to drop off the sick ones and then how do you actually slowly get them into being comfortable in a space like this which is so far away from civilization or places that they were actually living in So I think these things is what you know you get a better understanding of these things when you visit it in person again like it's the same yeah. thing that I'm trying to say but and there was actually a lot of fun cuz we got to see the uh, the public spaces we got a really uh, nice tour of we actually went on the terraces 
because these were the places where like the patients would lounge because you would get fresher air the higher you go it's cooler air and then uh, we actually walked around in the entire thing and we actually got to see one of the patient rooms and uh, and how it was actually um, designed and i think it was i uh, the exhibition too at the atenium had a small installation or a replica of this room but it compares nothing to the room that we saw in person but yeah we actually got to see the room in person and it was really weirdly exciting yeah. like sick people have lived there but still it's it's everything that he designed and like the way he designed it in terms of functions the people who are going to use it and i think it was really fascinating yeah is it still in use it's not uh, so uh, a part of the structure is but the rooms that they've actually preserved they are not open to the public but yeah a part of the uh, institution is still in use and it's used by non like ngos and like government organizations so you have kids in the building now it's actually only for kids and i think it's really fascinating we didn't get to see much of those cuz those things ha- like those parts have been reconstructed and re- renovated in terms of like the new use and everything but the parts that are still preserved we got to see almost all of them yeah wow that's amazing and they've like really well uh, they've actually even made a small tiny room in the in the sanatorium where they have like all the archives of that they found of the center and like they have like chairs they have a few um, medical instruments they have like really cool things yeah like the clocks and i think they have a patient bed too and like they have some of the operation equipments that they would use on these patients so it's just like one tiny room but they've tried their best to like whatever was existing i think when they found the place they've still tried to keep parts of it and we got access to that so i think like it's really fun you know actually getting to see these things in person and put them in context more than anything this was one piece of each there were like probably thousands of everything and when you start to like physically or like imag- in your imagination start to put them in context in that space it's i think you can get a really amazing idea of what it would have been like yeah yeah I'm i think jealous. like that that whole the whole idea the whole image that's created in your head about the space when you're within the space i think that's the fun part of it because then you can interpret whatever you want right you can always interpret what functions or what activities or what people would have done you have basic references but at the end of the day your imagination starts to play with everything that's around you and i think that's the fun part when you see an architecture design in person yeah and so you referenced the classical um elements that he used in Is that from his visit that he did with his wife But, to Italy? Yeah. So they went on their honeymoon in Italy, and I think it's I think it's funny because in my head it feels really similar to the Grand Tour. <laughs> that you know, a lot of designers have their reference, like really strong references to the Grand Tour and in Europe. And I think uh, he he does mention it a lot of times that the trip to Italy with Aino Alto changed. his ideas of what design should be like and i think um that's when he got really really interested into the mediterranean culture in a lot of ways so his um the materials that he would start using and like i think patterns in some ways i want i don't want to say patterns because that was more i know although but both of them together kind of understood why 
Europe or why Italy was the place to be because they got so many references and not just in terms of um, decorations I don't like in terms of ornamentations but also in terms of scale understanding a space and I think that's when he started kind of uh, collaborating his ideas of what classical elements meant in translated them into modernism or like the Nordic modernism in some ways so I think yeah that's really interesting yeah, it is. And you talk about the Finnish church buildings during the 1920s and 30s um, that uh, followed in the wake of the of Finland's separation from Russia mm-hmm. and the establishment of the independent Finnish nation in 1917. Mm-hmm. So you kind of talk about the introduction of like, the Western culture, which I exactly. find interesting because mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was that connection yeah. to Russia. I think that... The- It'll be, uh, there's another, that's why I think Finland kind of plays an interesting part as compared to the other Scandinavian countries is that it's always had these two extremely strong references and that's of the remaining Scandinavian countries like you have Norway, Sweden, Denmark and then you have Russia. So you already have like these two powerhouses kind of influencing everything that Finland does and I think politically Finland had been in a lot of flux and like discomfort in terms of uh, where they belonged. And I think it kind of like came to fruition when finally it was a part of the Scandinavian countries. And I think that kind of helps because the other three countries already had a national movement towards design. They already had a national um, understanding of why they should, why design should be the way they represent themselves. And when finally Finland becomes a part of this representation, I think it kind of, uh, it's, it's actually, they call it national romanticism. And I think, Everyone that I met there, no matter was into design or not into design, knew about this term. And I think that is really interesting because everyone collectively understands what part does design play in their lives and has played in their lives for over like a decade, I think, or more, especially in terms of understanding. Um, and I think I get how like the it's a national movement at the end of the day and a national movement in terms of not just one nation but combined aesthetic of four, keeping intact individual references as well. But I think that's the interesting part. They call it the national romanticism. And I think they are really extremely romantic towards it. And I think it it can be seen in their designs to date. And I think that's really fascinating. Even Ikea to that extent, it has so many references to the designs that have happened in the past and not just of Sweden, but other countries as well. And I think it kind of plays into the picture that you're trying to have a standard or uh, national identity through design, but you kind of adapt and, you know, reuse what, what's already been there. And that kind of says that, yeah, they really are nationalistic about their design image at the end of the day. Yeah. And so how did Alvar Alto then use that um national romanticism in his designs um he was always um with with alvaraldo i think um his understanding of materials was extremely important when it came to understanding national and also um he was a big supporter of the art he never liked to call himself an artist because just like any other architect or most of the architects he believed that like architecture is the highest power in design and I get where that comes from I absolutely do but I think with him uh, his national uh, understanding of design came into you 
came into the picture probably was portrayed best through his use of materials which were extremely local materials he completely understood what was being produced where and i think his love for the nature in finland really 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 shows into all his designs and um i think he had a very different approach cuz he wasn't someone who was against being modern who wasn't against looking at the west in for some elements but he did at the end of the day try to kind of amalgamate all these elements that he saw into what being finnish meant in terms of what 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 men being finnish in terms of um, house like homes it was the most important part of the finnish people and how he understood the idea of homes and uh, reiterated them in through his use of materials the uh, villas that he's made like they're all used of local materials they are all put inside he hasn't destructed any of the sites and he just builds within it and i think this actually shows his love for nature and which is extremely finnish nature like how do you actually become one with the surroundings and i think his nationalism wasn't exactly in terms of even his um, designs of glass work and they were all interpretations of the nature around him and i think that's how he appreciated being finnish so i think that was really interesting yeah and you can see that you make a good point the savoy vase mm-hmm. where it's the exactly. glassware and then the bent wood is so, so yeah. yeah it's copyright it's yeah. his design it's copyrighted and i think yeah he uses materials and um i think with him even technique was really important like ingenious techniques like he wouldn't he wasn't looking at like massive machines to make things he did support industrialization and mass production which is primarily why his designs were prototypic in some sense but i think for him it was really important that how true can you stay to a material or how pure can you represent a form without trying to do too much to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah you sort of talk about that when you talk about the rules of flexible standardization mm-hmm. and the advantages of mass producing good design yeah. versus just mass production Produ- of design exactly. yeah. yeah um but to go back to his love of art um was he the one who started artech uh he wasn't the one who started it but him and marie golushin so she belonged to one of the big one of the big and upcoming uh industrial families of finland and uh, she was an avid lover of art so she and uh, him that's and she he, he actually ends up building villa maria for her that's how the connection happens and uh, so they had both of them collectively start artec and her she was primarily the one running it to be honest i'm not going to say that it was alberto they did begin the the institution together but majority of the work in terms of like the daily functionings or everything that artec would possess or own was only marie golushin's work and uh, she actually was the one who got in a lot of works from Calder they had Rodin they had Leger and she really really appreciated modern art and i think um you can see a lot of those references in the kind of if you go through the whole uh, archives of artec you can see that they range the the kind of things that they have range from not just within finland but across cultures So I think they have few African arts, they have a few arts from the Mediterranean. So I think it kind of really 
uh, goes into understanding that they were also a part of institutions which were looking at other designs. And it could have easily been affected by what they were doing at the time. So it's not like uh, they have this one design ideology or philosophy that they're sticking to. They are constantly being influenced by other cultures that they are interacting with, even though it's only through terms of arts and artists. But yeah, that does influence a lot of his yeah. designs. And um, it's interesting because... Um, the Villa Maria, which was built for the Galushan family, which is still owned by the uh, family. They still have people living there. So they only have the uh, the ground level, the ground where the living spaces and the public spaces are, are only open to people to visit. The upper floor where the rooms and all of it is still occupied by the family. So we didn't get to see the upper floors, but we did get to see the interior, like the living room. We got to see the library, which at the time was one of the best libraries ever made. And uh, we got to see the sunroom, the nursery that Marie Galushan was into. And I think it's really fun. You know, we got to see some part of it. The kitchen, we actually got to see the kitchen. And it's interesting because this project, um, the reason why this house is different is because, um, f- first of all, um, Marie Galushan knew Alvar Alto and I know Alto. So she actually gave them a free hand at doing whatever they wanted. She she was open to accepting anything that the Altos would have given her. And she they even mentioned that um, the, I, uh, the Altos actually even talk about this, that this was one of the most fun projects they did because this was an experimentation of design for them too. And also because they had such a free hand in like doing whatever they wanted to do and not like a client telling you, you have to stick within these parameters. But I think they really enjoyed doing this this project primarily because they could do anything they wanted to do. So even in terms of experimentation, it's fun because they don't just have designs by themselves. They've actually like gone out to different cultures, different countries and bought furniture from them so I think you have like this really fancy jute couch and like this piano that has been built by some completely different artists and it's it's fun you have like sculptures by Rodin in it and every all these elements even though the house is designed by Alvar Alto the interiors are done by Aino Alto but not they're not designed by Aino Alto not all of them. They've actually they're actually products or designs that they've bought across different countries and put them into this design. And I think it's a really fun experience of understanding that they really did experiment with different forms of design in this house. And um yeah, so I this was actually a place where most of the art tech uh, art would be, usually. Cause like she loved art. Uh the Galushan family was they were like patrons of art. So like literally in the entire house, you walk across and you would find ledges, you would find calders. So I think like it's really interesting that you're already within a space which has so much aesthetic. It's like, it's almost like, I, I don't, it's almost like this parallel universe where you're living with so much design and this so it's just another way of living, I think. And that was really highlighted in the architecture as well that, I, you have to facilitate for what their interests cannot work. And he has done that really beautifully. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't realize you could go to Yeah, villa. but you can just go to parts of it. That's the sad part. We yeah. really <laughs> didn't want to see the rooms, but we just got to see the, uh, the kitchen, the living room, the library, which is beautiful. 
And yeah, and I think it's actually really interesting. Everyone should see this house once. Because like not just the interiors, which are phenomenal, partly because of like all this art in there. But all, it almost feels like a museum inside. And it is in so many ways. That's how she lived her life. And but also on the exterior, how he plays with materials to understand design and architecture. He actually, um, if you see photos of this villa, it actually has these um, pine wood columns, which kind of imitate the the forest around. So when you're entering, it's literally like you just see these columns of different organic sizes and shapes, and then slowly you're bought into the structure, and it's just beautiful. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and like he's done the same thing within the house, so you feel like you're not on the interiors, but you're still a part of the very nature that you just came in from and it's it's really interesting and beautiful and like a lot of the glassware and uh, the furnishings and are by I know Alto within the house so I think it's a very interesting collaborative project as well so yeah yeah that's great that they were yeah. able to work on a project yeah free capability yeah that I think that and they mention it so many times in most of the interviews that that's why this house is different for them because they absolutely they were building for themselves in so many ways. They had no they had no hold over what the clients were saying. They could do expect, and they actually they call it the experimental house. So yeah, I think you can actually if you go inside, you actually can see that it is an experimentation of different things that they wanted to try out. But yeah, in terms of details, materials, materials especially because that was very very important for the altos. So I think with timber metal they even tried a few things with concrete he did support concrete he actually mastered concrete in a latter part of his career but early on he did experiment on small scales with these materials interesting and uh, i think even the interior spaces of the house or how you move within these spaces he has a really um intense understanding of nature and the natural form of the human being and uh, he kind of that's where like a lot of his curved shapes from or like these organic lines that he has comes from because I I think in his um, understanding that's the most natural way a human can function and the space should imitate the natural form so I think that's where he kind of relates the spaces or like the the lines that he uses for his design in terms of the user that's going to use it. So I think that's an interesting play of... Yeah. yeah. And he, he loved water. We all know that. So even like the idea of lines and the free-flowing nature of water, he thinks imitates what the human body is like. So, you know, all these elements I think is important that as modern or as rigid he was in some of his philosophies, he was coming for a much softer basic natural instinct and understanding of what it is to be human and how he kind of reflected this in terms of elements of being a human. I think the body, the nature or the surroundings that the humans are situated in. And I think that's what creates an interesting dialogue between his design and the person who's going to use it or even him at some point of time. I think he's always constantly experimenting and responding himself to these different forms of design or different forms of nature that he's seeing. And I think that's kind of an interesting play of trying to even get into a psyche of how he might have been designing. But yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting um, that he puts himself in the position. Because yeah. I feel like sometimes that doesn't always happen. That doesn't happen. No, it's absolutely correct. But I think you can... You can you can tell when when an architect or when a designer is actually going through a process of making something or designing something. A lot of times, you have the designer does end up putting himself in that position, but the translation gets lost sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, that's like as famous as he was. He's seen a lot of failures in life. He's seen loss in life, and I think that psychology. We, you cannot pull that psychology out of an artist life when you're discussing his work because it constantly keeps reflecting into everything he does and I think even in terms of when we talk about simple things like the forests or the nature the leaves the materials or even water you can constantly tell that he's literally just imitating that he's not trying to he's not trying to mask the natural identities of those forms of nature he's not trying to do any of those for for instance like the waves and all of those things they're literally just molds of these things of natural forms they're not he's not trying to do anything he's not trying to be superficial when it comes to his interpretation he's interpreting it exactly the way he's seeing it and i think that's really interesting that even in that idea he's being true to everything that he believes in yeah so, a lot yeah. of his designs are very mm-hmm. biomorphic exactly. which i think is really neat idea yeah. to play with yeah and he's not trying to he's not trying too hard you can see that in his designs mm-hmm. he's not trying too hard it's just like he's doing exactly what his emotions are telling him to do at that point of time and i think it's it's interesting because I think that helps in understanding what the true form of his mind or his psyche was even at the time. So I think that's an interesting play of his design versus his psyche to his beliefs. Like how do you actually get all these things to balance themselves and then it's like portrayed through his design. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's a very interesting human being. He he definitely is. There's actually... um, it's actually fun even like understanding um, Alto's, uh, even if you just see the churches that he built over a period of time, I think it's just a fun case study, you know, even if you just want to look at the churches, like starting from the very early on when he was building churches to when he goes on to like, towards like the 50s to making them and how he actually changes his interpretation of these spaces and I think it's really interesting one of my favorite churches is called the church of the three crosses it's in Finland too but it's actually uh, in an industrial town so you have like these industrial sheds everywhere in the town and then right in the middle of nowhere you have his church and it's a it doesn't even look like a church to be honest it does it absolutely does not look like a church and he's used these huge massive concrete um circular um, shapes and like he it, it has a chimney it, it has a tower which looks like a chimney but is the is the place where you have the cross and like the bell tower for like the sermons and everything and it's just really fascinating how he grows with time and how he understands he understands the need of the hour and he designs accordingly but at the same time his basic principles and ideologies are still the same even when he was making this church which is super modern people were they criticized it a lot saying that this is not a church it does not look like a church but 
I mean, at the even in that uh, project, I remember his drawings that he had made for the concept. He has not even cut down a single tree on site. He has built within it. And I think it's just amazing how at every point he is staying, at least staying true to everything he's using. Even in terms of material, it might be a different material, but he's not changing the form of the material. He's not trying to mask the material. He could have easily made concrete walls and probably clad them with any material that would have fit in the stereotypical church image, but he did not. He was true to exactly what he was using. And I think there are a lot of things in that and it has over 100 windows and each one is different and it's just a beautifully made church i wish we could have seen that but it was just too far away from where we were but it's fascinating i think it's it's interesting to understand how uh, a lot of architects stay rigid in time a lot of them do but how he tried to change himself within the finished context over a changing period of time because it starts off with like interwar period then you have the world war and he was a part of the Finnish civil war so he knows what it's like and after that he still continues to be an architect and then he goes works with other people and then he sees the interwar period where in even in the western culture there was a big downfall at the time so I mean it's not like he's completely unaware of what's going on around but he knows exactly what he wants to choose from the different cultures that he's looking at at different points of time. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Was there anything that surprised you while you were doing your research or going through the museum that you didn't know about him that just sort of surprised you or about his works or...? I think the biggest surprise that I got was about Aino Aunty. Because I, uh, in my architecture, it's funny because I did a lot of Alvaro Alto research in my uh, research in terms of, like, my research would be architectural design research. It wouldn't be getting information. Mine would be studying his drawings, seeing what spaces meant to him, what scale was he using. Like, that would be the type of research. And that's where I fell in love with Alvaro Alto's just his without any pre-context of him as a person just basically through his architecture his design ideas that's how I fell in love with him and when I found out that like a lot of the interiors were done by Aino Alto I think that was one of the biggest because she has completely been left out of the picture I'm not I'm saying not in Finland but otherwise and that is sad because there everyone recognizes who Aino Alto is we don't like a lot of us don't know how involved she was i think the maximum would have we would have known as she was an interior designer worked at a studio or probably was his wife basic stuff none of us knew that she was that involved when it came to his architecture or his personal life why do you think that is i think it does i mean it's she's not the only woman who's been left out of this at the time I mean there are like the Eames is combined <laughs> I I think I wouldn't consider the Eames as much because I again I think it's uh, the interpretation like we forget the Eames like we forget Ray Eames but Charles didn't forget Ray Eames I think that's an important part the similar thing with the Altos we forget I know Alto but Arvar Alto did not forget I he has credited her at in every project it's our interpretation. So I think it's those things, right, that history gets written down by who's writing it. So I think that's because maybe, like, even a lot of women journalists would write about the men. And 
I think that's where the mistranslation happens. But I think that was a big surprise for me. I had no idea how involved she was. I knew she was his wife, but I had no idea that she was this important when it came to him. I think because of this, I for like a long time, I cannot credit anything only to Alvaraldo in a lot of ways because it's not just him. And he's like, in a lot of ways, he's made it pretty clear that he wouldn't have been able to do certain things without I know Arjo. So I think it's it's a collaboration. It's a half and half. I think also because um, Alvaraldo gets more recognized is because he was the architect. And also uh, because they think that architecture is the main thing, interiors is not as much at the time. So I think that's another reason could be that because I know Alto was involved in the interior designing, not the architecture of it. So I think that's where um, probably she might have been undercover for a long time that we did not recognize her importance in the projects because as the architect because usually it's it's a very recent culture that you write down who the interior design was because a lot of times it's assumed it will be the architect especially because Alvaralto was one of the people who would do the Gazant Kunz work a total work of art he would design everything but it was a Gazant Kunz work as a project not just him designing it it would also be I know Alto being a part of that Gazant work. And I think that's why when you term, when you say that the architect is this, that's where people just stop asking the next question as to who did the interiors, because they would have assumed that, okay, like an architect like the like Alvaraldo would have done the interiors, but it's not entirely true. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing to remember. Yeah, always. I think it's, it's always, I think till date, a lot of women get left out of or being credited. They don't get the agency that they deserve. And I think it's, I don't want to blame anyone, but I think it's, again, the part that it's who writes these things and who writes about these things. If someone admires the women society or the figure of women, they would write about that. And I think, I, I don't think it's like women aren't, doing enough or they're not out there enough it's not that because we're not being downplayed anymore but it's just who writes about us is more important yeah it's a good way to look at it well thank you so much for coming on the podcast that was amazing yes we're all gonna be experts now in all alvar alto it's so tough to be there but i'm glad you guys enjoyed and yeah i had fun doing this it's it's nice talking about these things when in a very casual context, and you know at the end of the day, someone might learn or get interested in something. Yeah. But, yeah. And I'll post pictures. Um, I have a Twitter now, the Deck Arts Podcast. You can find it on Twitter, and I'll post pictures. So when you listen to this, you can go to the Twitter and look at everything, because it'll give you a better understanding of what's happening while we're talking about it. But mm-hmm. thanks so much. Yes, you're welcome. Bye. Bye. <laughs>